Hey everybody, it's Tony, your host here. Just want to invite you to head on over to tonyfletcher.substack.com and subscribe, if you will, so that you can get yourself a weekly newsletter full of news about this podcast, my other podcast, a Substack-only subscribers podcast that's launching in December 2023, and you'll get additional show notes for this episode and other episodes complete with pictures, links, and even video and music if need be. That's tonyfletcher.substack.com. And now, on with the show. Hey everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of One Step Beyond, a podcast all about positively engaging with the world outside our door. If you're listening chronologically, kind of upon release of this episode, hey, Happy New Year, it's the beginning of January. 2024. It is coming up close to four years since I first launched this podcast. Uh, took a bit of time off somewhere down the line there, uh, but it's been back and it's been regular for, gosh, getting on a couple of years now already. Very happy about that. I'm always thrilled that there are people who take the journey with me. And I always hope that uh, those listeners, I'm speaking about you here, don't mind that it's kind of unpredictable what gets covered here as long as it falls under that overall umbrella. And while a lot of these episodes tend to veer between uh, the the subject matter of travel and uh, maybe on a just general level, perhaps exercise of some kind, this one is going to definitely cover travel our own travel at times in and and the way we interact with um, not so much our host um, people but our host animals and we are going to be talking about elephants and we're going to address the fact that uh, it seems everybody loves elephants and yet they are endangered and yet we abuse them and we kill them and to have that discussion about uh, why we have this contradiction and what we can do about it. I am joined by Patricia Sims, who is the founder of World Elephant Day and also the producer-director of two excellent films about Asian elephants in Thailand specifically. But of course, as a result of all her advocacy and hard work, she is an expert on elephants overall. And before we get stuck into that conversation, um, I guess just at my end, I have found myself reflecting, maybe because I'm entering the sixth, well, I'm going to be entering the seventh decade of my life this year when I turn 60. You know, I've always had this sort of love and fascination with animals. Um, and as a kid, I was you know, always like, like, you know, neck deep in books about cuddly animals and learning about them. And I had tracking books for the mammals of Great Britain. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm assuming that somehow that early, you know, I thought about uh, when I was really small, I guess one of my ambitions was to become a vet. I'm actually not very good with the sort of blood side of the, the medical business. So that probably wouldn't have been right for me. I certainly in terms of, uh, you know, where I've been at in recent years, I often think God, I would love to have dedicated myself to um, a life a little like Patricia Sims in terms of being out in the wild, trying to document uh, animals and perhaps their suffering, their welfare, trying to do something about it, trying to preserve the species. You know, over my life, I guess I've been a writer, a communicator of some form. 
Um, and hopefully I, you know, you, you have your own little small part to play there. Certainly there came a point where I realized I personally could not justify eating animals. And that is kind of... Um, extended over the course of decades to not eating any animal products, not wearing any animal products, and, and trying to just minimize my uh, interactions with animal products. Um, because, you know, it's very obvious it might seem that we would not want to touch ivory, which uh, comes from beautiful, beautiful elephants. We do it at every end of the uh, the animal chain and kingdom, and uh, it can be hard to know where you draw a line unless you kind of draw an absolute line. That's where... I have ended up. It's not where I assume everybody else to end up. And it has been a life journey for me to sort of get to that point. But every time I think about animals uh, going extinct, uh, the likes of, um, you know, the likes of elephants, we're going to mention the one-horned rhino here, orangutans, proboscis monkeys, you know, animals that uh, we can relate to because, because of their intelligence or they look like us, share a lot of our DNA, you know, it's very, very, very easy to be filled with despair. I don't want us to be in that situation because we don't get anything done when we despair. So this is ultimately a positive conversation with Patricia. She's done a lot to document uh, what's happening with elephants. Uh, she's doing a lot to ensure that their numbers uh, go in an upward trajectory and that their welfare is much better all around. And, you know, with that, I'm going to jump us into the conversation and um, I'll meet you back at the back end of it. And with that, uh, sit back, relax. Uh, don't go taking any uh, animal rides while you listen to this, at least until you have listened to this. And uh, prepare to go one step beyond. First up, um, I know we're on a three-hour time difference, and I don't think you're in the middle of the Atlantic. So are you on the West Coast somewhere? Is it Canada or the USA? Or Yes, I'm in British Columbia. I actually uh, um, am specifically on Vancouver Island off the coast of British Columbia, so very much the Pacific time zone. Right. I gather it's beautiful there. I've not been to British Columbia. It's very beautiful here. Uh, you know, it has quite a diverse landscape. We have ocean and mountains and fantastic forests and a lot of wildlife. Right. And Patricia, why have I invited you on? What is it, what is it that you do um, that you've really dedicated yourself to? I'm going to give you the chance to uh, introduce it and talk about it. Oh, okay. Well, well, uh, what I'm actually a documentary filmmaker. I'm a writer, producer, director, uh, but I'm also very much a, a conservationist. And uh, most of my films over the years have really focused on on conservation issues and human animal dynamics, uh, both in in the wild and in captivity. And so, I guess I'm probably best known uh, more most recently for my work with elephants. And I guess that would have started, oh, back in maybe around 2008, um, coming out of a number of years prior to having worked with uh, dolphins and whales and various dolphin and whale conservation issues around the world, I found myself being drawn towards elephants. And that led me to, uh, to eventually produce two documentaries about Asian elephants. What are the title of your two documentaries? Um, well, the two, uh, the first one is called Return to the Forest, and the second one is When Elephants Were Young. Both films were narrated by none other than William Shatner, 
who's uh, actually an incredible uh, animal advocate. So he was very happy to uh, to get involved in in both those subjects with us and worked with us on both those films as the narrator. That is absolutely wonderful. Now, I got to see Return to the Forest before our talk, and I did not get to see, uh, is it called When Elephants Were Young? Is that the title? When Elephants Were Young, yes. Right. Um, I will get to see that between now and I think putting the episode putting the episode up. And uh, you are also the founder of World Elephant Day, is that correct? Well, yes. So when I started deeply into the elephant issues, um, you know, there was a, an absolute explosion at that point of, um, of ivory poaching, uh, elephants being killed for their ivory. And, um, it, you know, the, the world, it was aghast at what was happening. Um, the numbers of elephants that were being killed was uh, was massive and nobody really knew what to do about it. Um, at that time, there weren't as many elephant conservation organizations um, existing then as there are today, and, and thankfully so. So at that time, when I was putting that film together and recognizing um, what was happening from these issue perspectives and how the uh, pr primarily African elephants, which were really the ones that were under siege for their for their ivory, um, that we really needed to bring awareness to this on a global level. So we needed essentially a global day, a way to a way to focus the world's attention on this issue. And so, uh, much in the tradition of Earth Day, um, I launched World Elephant Day, and that was on August twelfth, twenty twelve. All right. So we're, that would be 12 years, it's had, if we started the count again in 2022. So you are, you've, I mean, that is some major advocacy, uh, some major art in terms of making documentaries. And uh, as, a, as a writer and yeah, biographer, I've been on the periphery of documentaries and the amount of work that goes into documentaries that you know, I'm not unaware of it, uh, putting together a, a, a non-fiction book can take some work but documentaries really take work so i mean just for getting them done hats off but uh i know at least one of them is a great movie and you've you've clearly achieved a lot you know it, it's pretty hard to find somebody um certainly <laughs> certainly outside of the area where elephants live and occasionally there are um, have have negative interactions with humans it's hard to find anybody that's not had that kind of um, the fight over habitat who doesn't love elephants. We all love elephants. Why are they so special? Well, yes, that's always a question that people ask. And I ask myself that question many times too. Um, I believe it's because elephants are a lot like us. Uh, they have a lot of the same qualities that we have as humans or strive to have as humans or should have as humans. And actually, sometimes I feel that in many ways, elephants are better humans than mm -hmm. we are in a sense. Um, you know, their social bonds, their relationships, their family ties, their their empathy, um, which is exhibited time and time again between each other and then between other species and even towards humans in a lot of cases. Um, not to mention, of course, their their massive memories, which everybody is completely familiar with, the the old adage, you know, elephants never forget. Well, it's true, they don't forget, and that's a really big part of their survival mechanism. Um, so apart from that, they also play an extremely important role in the environment. And 
you know, as a keystone species, they're responsible for maintaining the biodiversity of the habitats in which they live uh, as caretakers of the environment. And, you know, they they play, they play a number of roles within that environment um, as they migrate from their areas, certainly the savanna elephants in Africa and even the forest elephants in Asian in in Asian uh, countries where the Asian elephant lives, they're predominantly living more in forests. Um, you know, they they play a big role in primarily uh, forest maintenance uh, through seed dispersal, through their dung. You know, they travel for many, many, many kilometers in terms of uh, their migration routes and where they, you know, they look for water. They they maneuver in, in environments. They create pathways for other animals to access. Um, so they have this really important role. They're very much the caretakers of their environments. And... For now, I mean, in these times when we're speaking about uh, climate change issues and habitat loss issues, I mean, elephants are integral to maintaining these forest habitats and are actually very, very big climate change mitigators because without them, a lot of these forest habitats would would crumble. Right. So there's a lot of reasons why we love elephants and there's a lot of reasons why we need elephants. Absolutely. I can't imagine a world without elephants or lions or tigers uh, or indeed, you know, any number of species. But you hear on a number of points there that we we do love them. And you got very quickly beyond the cute, cuddly, playful, long memory, um, you know, all these aspects, empathy that we know that they have and a means of communication with each other. All these things we find fascinating, as we do with whales, which you know we'll get to later on, because you told me you started out with that. And I think you've just gone back to um, some study of whales just very recently. Um, but this issue of them being, um, you know, a keystone species, that's not a term that people, uh, that everybody will know. The fact that they are so important to the, um, to, you know, to the survival of the forest for all the reasons that you stated. So it goes, it goes so far beyond the fact that visually they, they're, they're amazing and that we think that they are somewhat like humans and they, they serve such an important role. And I think that easily gets just completely lost in discussions about why animals, you know, look beautiful and just look amazing. And because they're big, you know, they, they blow our minds and all of those kind of things. Um, I'm aware of some differences between the African and Asian elephants. I think it's important to distinguish between the two. Um, a very quick summary. I mean, my understanding is that African elephants are bigger, which does mean the ivory will be bigger, which would speak to, um, uh, why you mentioned straight away at the beginning that poaching has been more of a problem with African elephants. Um, and my understanding might also be that there are more Asian elephants, but also more of them that are put to work. And um, I know that there are some differences maybe in how we can recognize them by size, but also by ears, I think. Um, is there anything else we should know about the differences between them before we get into how the hell we're going to sa save them? Yes, well, in fact, there's three species of elephants, uh, African savanna elephants, African forest elephants, and then the Asian elephant. Um, and then within the Asian elephant, there's a, a few different subspecies, and that's related to specifically where they're living. Um, but predominantly, yeah, the, the, the main difference is size. Uh, the African elephants are, I think, about 30% bigger. I mean, the Asian elephant is still pretty big, but the African elephant, you know, the bull elephants are, are, a, few, are a couple of tons and, uh, you know, they have, they have bigger ears. Um, in the, in the 
African elephants, both the the males and the females uh, have tusks, uh, whereas with the Asian elephant, only the males or the bulls, as they're called, um, have tusks. Um, the the females or cows have what are called pushes, um, which are more uh, small little kind of uh, tusks, but they're very small and often indiscernible. So those are other two main issues. And of course, the reason why the African elephants were really, um, you know, slaughtered at the level they were was because of the size of those tusks. And there was a, a few uh, in the early part of when this real ivory crisis was underway, a few old bull tuskers who had these massively beautiful tusks that were actually, you know, murdered, which just brought everybody like worldwide to their knees of like, we got to do something, you know? And that's how, as I said earlier, why World Elephant Day was founded and why we were able to get so much attention to it so quickly. Among the many notes that I have, but maybe I'll just get to it right now, is that a few months back um, on a airplane journey, I watched the movie The Elephant Queen, which is, um, I'm sure you probably get to see all the, the elephant films. And it's about a herd of elephants in the, um, I guess they, they, would, they would be savannah elephants, wouldn't they? Because they're wandering the savannah. Yeah. So they are, it follows a whole year in the life of one family. There's a queen called Athena. And um, they're trying to find water because there's a drought on, which is related to climate crisis, etc. The whole movie is very emotional. It's very beautiful. There is a poor baby elephant that doesn't survive the journey that we all become quite attached to. Uh, but at the end, what was just like absolutely gut-wrenching is they made this film. And then they talked about how we had, we had seen when they actually arrived at uh, an oasis somewhere. And uh, if, uh, oasis might not be the right term, but they arrived at the water supply. There were lots of other elephants there. It was this big, big, big gathering. And there was a big tusker who was like the local stud. And unfortunately, at the end of the movie, they informed us that that tusker um, had been killed by poachers uh, since the movie was was made and i think once you had seen this beautiful regal elephant and knowing you know it, it had been getting to an old age and just thinking that it had been it had been killed while this movie was in production that was just like utterly gut-wrenching really gut-wrenching then they it turned out they they can't find athena anymore either i believe so they really worried the same thing that she could have been slaughtered as well even if she didn't have uh, big tusks Yes, well, that that was also what was starting to happen, um, too, is a lot of the younger bulls were starting to get slaughtered because the older bulls were, um, you know, gone now. And so they so the whole, you know, the the whole disruption to the genetics of the of the populations in the respective areas within Africa was affected as well. I mean, there was a huge, huge impact on so many levels. I mean, hundreds of thousands of elephants, you know, were, were killed over the course of like, I guess when the ivory crisis really started up again, would have been around 2008 and nine. Uh, there had been a moratorium on ivory trade that had been established in the eighties. Um, but uh, there was a, a, a legal ivory uh, trade that was allowed by um, CITES in 2008 eight because uh, four of the African countries had stockpiled ivory and uh, Japan and China wanted to buy some of that ivory and that was allowed uh, to bring so-called revenue into those countries um, and also the, the money was supposed to go to help conservation initiatives of course we don't really have any proof that it ever actually did 
But it essentially opened up the floodgates for uh, the ivory market that then was, you know, exploding in China. And there was a whole bunch of reasons why that was happening during that time. Um, you know, China was growing. It was growing with a middle class. There was more money available for people in Ch like Chinese who could actually now buy ivory, which is a highly coveted symbol of, you know, material success and accomplishment and so on, and a whole kind of cascading effect that took place there as a result. I mean, fortunately, the domestic ivory trade uh, was stopped in uh, the end of 2017 um, in China, and that did change somewhat and has changed somewhat uh, how much ivory trade and poaching is going on. The value of ivory has come down quite substantially from what it was then. Poaching is still happening, um, and in some cases now, it's even more than just for their the ivory. It's also for their for their for their flesh, for their meat, for their skin. Um, so the issues have shifted somewhat, also because of changes in economies in these countries too. And of course, after the pandemic and so on, there's just been a lot of other impacts that affected these these countries, both in Africa and in Asia. So we're not out of the woods yet, so to speak, in terms of um, mitigating uh, ivory slaughter, um, no. but it's, it's, it's improved. But enforcement has been the challenge. You know, of putting course. laws in place is one thing, but then how do they get in? How does it get enforced? And then impacting consumer awareness, which is a lot of what World Elephant Day <clears throat> was really able to do, is that we were really able to bring awareness to the public about what was happening, and we were really able to bring all the different elephant organizations that were working together worldwide together under this one day that could really you know, really have a major global reach. I mean, we, we've had incredible global reach um, each year for World Elephant Day. You know, a lot of social media engagement, a lot of the elephant organizations that are um, part of World Elephant Day recognize World Elephant Day. We call them friends of World Elephant Day. We'll use World Elephant Day to to um, to fundraise for their own conservation initiative. So it's a very, very important awareness building day. And as a result, it's really grown as a globally recognized brand. We've had so many uh, governments and so many countries utilize World Elephant Day to pass legislation um, on the protection of not just, you know, making uh, ivory uh, sales bans, but also conservation for habitat protection, uh, other forms of, um, you know, sort of status of populations, like in India, for example, India is a very big uh, elephants, right? And, and they they recognize World Elephant Day nationally each year, almost as a as a bit of a national a national holiday. And there's been a lot of a lot of interesting um, uh, sort of multi level organizations, both like from government to the sort of rural small grassroots types of organizations that utilize World Elephant Day to to bring awareness or to to launch a cause or or an initiative. Okay. So the other important things I should mention too about the difference between African and Asian elephants is basically the Asian elephant is an endangered species. There's less than 40,000 Asian elephants left in the world. The African elephant um, has been impacted. They're classified as a threatened species, uh, but the population numbers are generally about 400,000 on continental Africa. So you've got a huge 
difference between so how 10 many times people. 10 times as many yeah. african elephants now I, I that was actually the next level of question i was going to get into because I, I i want to break down you you raised so many points just there and i'm really really glad you did but i want to be able to break them down a little bit just from from that numbers perspective if there's four hundred thousand in africa is that going up or down i mean are we going in the right direction in africa let me just ask that one first well, to, to be honest, I have not followed what the population dynamics are, but just from uh, like in any real specific statistical analysis kind of way. But I would generally say from what I'm just seeing over overall, um, it's more or less stable or diminishing. Okay. And, and so the the diminishing aspects of it, I think at this point, are maybe more related to habitat issues. Right, which is a, which is really um, the, what's the central part of what I think is the problem in Asia. And with Asia, where there's only 40,000, um, and uh, for, the, for the record, when I did my uh, the, the, the world trip in 2016, I did see elephants uh, in Tanzania, um, in the wild, in um, India, where they were mostly in service, which we obviously need to get to employed elephants. They were mostly in service in one way or another, though um, I do remember a bus trip that went past the national park and they were wandering the streets. So those I do believe were actually just wild, wild ones. Um, in uh, Also saw them in Nepal, also probably saw, um, may have seen them in Sri Lanka, but certainly of course in Thailand, which is where you made your um, made your, your first film, if I'm not sure about your second film. Uh, so I have seen the elephants in multiple environments, and we're going to get to uh, my own experience with them in Nepal as well. Those numbers of 40,000, have they been heading the wrong way for a long time? Are they are they starting to bottom out? Are, are we possibly, I'm going to ask now, have, has there been any uptick since people realize just how endangered these beautiful animals are? Yes, and so with Asian elephants, it's a little bit more difficult because they actually spread across all of Asia, right? And they're in about 14 different countries. And it really varies from country to country. The Asian elephant hasn't really been impacted from poaching uh, in the way that the African elephant has. So the issues for the Asian elephant is predominantly um, habitat loss. And um, what are fundamentally rooted in habitat loss are human elephant conflict issues. And those are very severe and increasing. And that's in India, predominantly in India, but also throughout the rest of uh, Asia as well, and just to a lesser degree. So um, as far as I know from what's happened in Thailand, there's been, um, there's been the attempt to increase the wild elephant population, the Asian elephant captive population in Thailand is twice more than twice as many as are in the wild. And there, I think there are at about 3,500 now captive elephants in Thailand. Um, one of the other important things I should talk about too is my work in Thailand, we were doing a very innovative conservation pro project with the, the Elephant Reintroduction Foundation, which was a royal initiative initiated initially by the uh, the Queen of Thailand. And we were returning captive elephants back to the wild. And that was a very successful program, which you saw in Return to the Forest, right? That's basically what that film is about, is that work that we were doing there to return captive elephants back to the wild. Um, so that's been at an attempt to really try to replenish the wild populations. And since 
we started that film, um, there's been, uh, I think, maybe close to 30 wild uh, cap wild baby elephants born in those protected areas. Um, so that's been a very successful example of some work at trying to increase population. But what we're fundamentally facing is where are these elephants going to live? Because as the human population increases and development increases and these encroachments on their habitat increases, you know, we've got in in India, we've got rail lines, we've got highways, we've got commercial farmlands, we've got factories, you know, fracturing their habitats. I mean, they, these are animals that roam great distances and they can't anymore. So now they're kind of stuck in these little areas and then they have to eat and they have to survive and then they go into human areas and then that causes a lot of problems for the humans and then they get killed as a result or they kill people as a result. And ultimately that's what we're going to be facing is are we going to be able to sustain these populations there's been other examples in africa where there's these conservation areas that are now reaching carrying capacity for the population of elephants that are living there um and so what's going to happen to those elephants where are they going to go um we were also part of uh, bringing awareness to an interesting translocation project that was taking place in Africa a couple of years ago, just pre-pandemic, which was quite innovative as well and has actually proven to be quite successful. But these are kind of small examples, right, of, of, of attempts and success. It's not really addressing the bigger issue, right? We're dead, right, because we've got like so many humans. Well, that's, well, no, you're ab you're absolutely right. But one of the most important things to do is not to complain and just. I mean, we can all say how horrible it is that uh, you know we 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 hunt elephants for ivory. We we hunt lots of animals for different reasons across across the world, and um, uh, you, you know we we for reasons we talked about at the beginning, we all seem to be very emotionally attached to elephants. But uh, we've driven a lot of animals to extinction through our through our hunting, and through not being effective stewards of the planet. And you know, talking about Thailand, I was um, d d doing some other research before talking to you here, and I I read um, that the forest area in Thailand reduced from eighty percent in only 1957 to approximately less than 20% in 1992, mm -hmm. largely because of deforestation associated with inappropriate developments. The irony of that, so obviously that's habitat loss for the elephants, but the irony there is that the elephants were often the ones doing the clearing, weren't they? Because they are put to work. And I think that one area I thought we could focus on here um, is really about captive elephants, working elephants uh, across a whole range of industries, and also the issues that are faced, as, as you've uh, addressed in your films, uh, the issues that are faced if, if we then say, well, you can't own an elephant anymore, you can't put an elephant to work, because in Thailand, I'm going to jump ahead so that we get this, this point made, in Thailand, my understanding is that they then banned using elephants for logging. Mm -hmm. And that would seem an inherently positive development, except that A, the, the, uh, the forest cover has gone from 80% to 20%, but B, now you've got all these elephants that can't legally be employed, and they're really expensive to feed. Uh, <laughs> they drink 300 litres of water a day. God knows how much they eat. I couldn't get that figure down. So that has been a crucial issue um that i saw personally in thailand i could see that this was a a a issue it's, essentially you've got unemployed 
elephants. And how, let's talk about captive elephants and the different ways they are put to work and how that can, how that is bad for elephants. Some of us may have grown up seeing elephants in the circus. You know, we may have grown up thinking that it would be cool to, um, you know, do something maybe we may have grown up seeing them perform we may have grown up seeing all kinds of things um let's talk about the animals in captivity and what they're used for and why that needs to change assuming you agree that it does well the elephants in captivity is a very complex issue and certainly one that i'm been very deeply involved with for a long time being based in thailand for those years and um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things to consider about elephants in captivity. There's a 4,000 year history with humans working with elephants. And that goes back to, you know, Alexander the Great and elephants used in warfare and so on. Um, the other thing to recognize about elephants, too, is they, they are not a domesticated species. They are a wild animal in captivity. They've never been domesticated. And so that's the other part. Um there's an unusual relationship that develops between an, ele an elephant keeper known as a mohut and their elephant. Um, and that's built over time. Um, it's an interestingly complex relationship. It's essentially a codependent relationship. Um, when we get into should they be in captivity or not? Well, ideally, no, of course not. But whether we believe they should be in captivity or not, they are in captivity and they have been for a long time. And so the question is, how do we take care of them in those captive circumstances so that they're happy and healthy, treated with respect and dignity, not abused, not traumatized, and try to sort of develop a symbiotic relationship with them, which is possible because they're highly emotional, evolved, intelligent creatures. And people can have relationships with them, friendships with them, a kind of a bond with them. And we've witnessed that. I mean, I myself have had some incredible encounters and connections with, with elephants. Um, so that part of it is all true and real. And how do we manage that so we do it properly? And this is where the ethics come into play in terms of discussing, well, how do we keep elephants in captivity? What are the right ways to keep elephants in captivity? Um, you're talking about a 4,000 year history. And yes, you can say, well, so what? It's been going on for 4,000 years. It doesn't mean that we still should be doing it. And that's absolutely true. But the fact of the matter is we live in this world where we're sharing habitat with elephants. Uh, we've taken most of their habitat, particularly uh, uh, the Asian elephant. I mean, in fact, when it's across Asia, it's 90% of the original natural Asian elephant uh, elephant habitat is gone, 90%. So how are we going to live with them, right? How do we how do we manage these situations? So there's so many different examples of um, successful models, um, and it's important to look at the successful models. I mentioned the one with the Elephant Reintroduction Foundation in Thailand. The other really interesting model is actually what was going on in Yunnan province in China. Uh, that's another very interesting model. I mean, China has this last little bit of protected area in uh, in Yunnan province known as Shishuanbana. And it's about, I believe, about 66,000 66, hectares. So it's not a huge amount of area, but it's where this 
stable population of wild elephants that's still living. They've been stable at that level, about 300 wild elephants living in that area for, for like over 25, 30 years. Um, there's other areas of buffer around those borders with Laos and Myanmar where there's still wild elephants as well. And then they cross over into Laos and Myanmar. So what was developed there was a human elephant uh, conflict mitigation program where the state uh, had farmers plant uh, specialized crops for elephants to eat in between boundaries of commercial crop areas um, that were more or less uh, along the, you know, the sort of river banks and stuff or areas where elephants were usually historically migrating. And the elephants basically figured it out. They figured out that they could roam through these areas, eat the crop lands that were planted for them, essentially, they are referred to sometimes as fodder crops, and more or less not bother with the humans, because elephants are not aggressive animals. They're not out there. They're not a predator species. They're herbivore. They're not really out there to trample humans, right? No, uh, no, that no, ab absolutely. That's only going to happen if there's that kind of human, human they're highly, interaction. Yeah, they're, they're, they're basically a kind, empathetic uh, species, you know, you can you can approach them in the wild if they're not feeling threatened. Um, you know, they they I mean, they might if they have, you know, young or they're feeling some element of threat for some reason. But for the most part, there's been a lot of cases where people have been able to interact closely with wild elephants and they're not. Might, yeah, that I mean, might be one reason that we that, that we are in part attracted to them. And it might also um explain why they are uh, put to work so much in a, in a tourist industry and you know in india i really only saw them um put to work in two different scenarios in when i was in mysore misuru um yeah. in the big old uh, royal palace area i actually saw them just working you know dragging things around i was like wow they're still using working elephants there and then in Kochi, in Fort Kochi, uh, they were used, uh, there were captive elephants used in uh, this, this festival, this parade, um, which at, at first it was like, oh, there's going to be elephants. This will be, let's go see. And then it was horrible to see. We, we yeah. were really, really, really turned off. And um, I did make a clip of that. They were chained. There were firecrackers going off. They were, oh, it was yeah. really yeah. unpleasant to see, really unpleasant to see. And I don't know if that's something that how how you change that because like you say that's you're talking there about a long long history yeah. of custom and people might not like west i'll call us westerners whatever first worlders coming in and saying you need to change that habit of of a culture ceremonial elephant use exactly and that goes on throughout india it goes on through basically uh, thailand as well cambodia myanmar i mean it's um so in a lot of cases, too, you know, those elephants are, you know, sometimes, you know, they're drugged, right? So they're passive. Uh, there's been a lot of cases where elephants have gone nuts and trampled, you know, yeah. gone crazy. Like, it's horrible to see that people are killed. You know, it's like they're just they, they just they just lose it. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, that happens um, a lot. Uh, why uh, people don't even like to talk about that very much. Mahouts are, are killed often by their elephants. I mean, even in our filming during our I mean, I was there for five years um there were there were a couple of mahouts that we were connected with or working with who were killed by their elephants it happens you know people ask well what well why you know why why are they chained why why are why are they, why is there the the hook being used and it's like well because frankly in captivity they're dangerous they will kill 
they're keepers and, and, and they do. And there's a certain amount of trauma, right? That elephants endure in captivity. And then you've, you know, you've seen all the various footages of, you know, the, the crushes it's called, or the Pajan, you know, that method of, of breaking uh, elephants, breaking the spirit, weaning the elephant up from. Now I did quite a lot of anthropological study on that practice um, because my question was, well, is this what's been going on for 4,000 years? Everything because I mean, and you we've seen all kinds of examples of illustrations historically of elephants used in warfare, where elephants are basically trained to kill each other, right? Mm -hmm. And kill, you know, the, the you know, the 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 foe on the other elephant on the you know, so it's kind of like, wow, well, how is that even happening? And what is that dynamic and what is that relationship between that elephant and it and its mahood or on its keeper? So there's a very uh complex psychology that takes place in that dynamic. Have we always been weaning them that, that drastically? Have we always been using those methods when you studied? No, this is in fact what I learned is that in earlier times, it was never done as quickly, right? It was done over the course of a few years. And there wasn't this, I mean, the, the like what some of the footage that has been released is, is fairly specific. It's not across the board, but it's what most people react to. You know, and it's kind of like a like a bit of the hostage syndrome kind of concept of, you know, you beat the animal, then you're nice to the animal, then you beat the animal, then you're nice to the animal. So the animal is more or less, you know, the elephant is is, is conditioned to to fear human to be dominated by humans is essentially what's happening. It's accepting right. domination and whether it's fear based or trauma based you know, who's to say, I mean, the interesting thing about looking at the studies that have been done on, on the traumatic impacts on, on captive elephants, I mean, because elephants have such a large memory capacity and trauma is hundred percent associated with memory. I mean, even when we look at human uh, PTSD, like what causes trauma in humans? Well, it's related to memory and association to previous experience, negative experiences. Well, elephants have a memory ability like that far exceeds the human ability. So imagine what a traumatic impact is going to be on that elephant psychology. Of course. And there's been course. and there's been a lot of study done on that too. So however we want to come into understanding it, the in, in a lot of these captive situations that we've heard about, they're you know, the elephants are put into a, an abusive scenario where they are basically forced to be dominated and they accept that domination because that's how they get their food. And so there's a bit of a contractual relationship. I mean, there was one uh, expert that I worked with in Thailand quite a bit who often referred to it as a kind of like a contractual relationship. One person didn't sign up for that. Um, you know, it's not a, it's not a mutual contract. And I, I mean, I had a note here. Uh, I'm aware of this. I'm going to answer this in myself in the, in the interest of time, but I mean, you know, elephants, baby elephants don't volunteer to be put in captivity. And I know in a lot of cases, their parents, their mothers are killed so that the baby can be ca captured and then put in captivity. And then now can't be put to work in the logging industry. I mean, there's not that much forest left. Um, the, the elephants are are used in a in a sort of tourist capacity well some of them are, are taken around the streets of a, of a big city like bangkok effectively yes. begging um i did about that so that's what when elephants were young yeah the that i that i that i produced and directed is about that issue we lived with the street mahouts in bangkok for for almost two years 
And because part of my investigation at that time was to really understand what that culture was based on. I mean, when I first learned about street begging elephants in Bangkok, it was like, how could this even be possible? How are these people able to manage these animals in this dense urban environment? And so that relationship was the relationship that I wanted to understand. And that's what When Elephants Were Young is, is based on. And so, um, and then in the end, our elephant that we follow, she ends up going back to the wild, which you see a little bit of them return to forest, but to get the whole scope of that, um, of that work and what we were doing at that time, when elephants were young really gets into that and we look at that that dynamic that human elephant dynamic and that relationship which is right. basically you know a, a, an ancient relationship and how and and how you know when we get into most young elephants yeah are captured from the wild um you know put to work um sometimes the mums and babies are captured together um there's been there is more captive breeding taking place. Um, the elephants that we we were reintroducing back to the protected areas. So that's a half a million acres of protected habitat in Thailand, right? Which is interesting. The Elephant Reintroduction Foundation is not a widely known initiative and predominantly because it's a, it's a royal initiative and they're not really doing a public fundraising outreach as much as they and other organizations might be, but they've been able to, to create these wildlife sanctuaries. So it seems to me, if I may, that bit by bit, what I got was, you know, some of these elephants actually think they're human because they've had no other, um, they've had no interaction with other elephants. I mean, as far as they're concerned, they're, you know, they may see that they have a trunk at the end of their nose. Is that right? Uh, but they may seem they see they have a trunk, but they, you know, they're, they're thinking of themselves as humans. And so it's not a given as it, as in any case, um, I've been to orangutan um, uh, rehabilitation centers in, um, in Borneo and in Laos as well. And it's not, you know, it can't be a given that animals can just be returned to the environment because because if they're raised in captivity, they obviously may not survive in the wild. So, I mean, there's a lot of issues addressed there, but staying, staying on that aspect of it's easy to talk about Thailand because it's one of the most visited touristic countries in the world. It's crowded with tourists. Um, I think historically, the Thai, you know, Bangkok's the second biggest airport um in the world so it's an easy one to focus on and also because they banned the use of them in logging so there's so many of these captive elephants which like you said is sort of two to one of the wild elephants but they're sort of unemployed we would see when traveling through thailand a lot of roadside attractions bathe with the bathe the elephants you know take an elephant ride i saw what i thought must be an awful lot of sort of fake elephant sanctuaries like hey it's an elephant sanctuary come bathe the yeah, look to me just like a straight money grab. Yeah, yeah, they're not real. They're not truly sanctuaries, right? They're right. calling. Yeah. So and then they're... let's let's talk about what, what um, one one scenario up in Nepal um, where I sent you the uh, the video that we made at the time, and actually that little video I edited it entirely uh, on the bus back from Chitwan to Kathmandu on an iPhone. Um, in short, Chitwan National Park in Nepal has a scheme whereby elephants are used primarily by the, uh, the, the um, I'm thinking of the word wardens, uh, rangers in the park, because from that advantage of a high height, they can see poachers and they are looking to protect the one horned 
rhino, which has been critically, critically endangered. And as a result of using elephants um, to patrol, they've been able to pretty much halt poaching and reverse the trend. And the population of the one-horned uh, rhinos has shot up, which is good news. Partly to finance that, and partly uh, they would say for education, they um, uh, market and sell rides on those elephants, uh, one or two per day. And uh, they, like I say, they see it as having maybe a multitude of purposes. We were there and there were lots of rides offered commercially right outside the park. I mean, like right outside the National Park. And I must say, locals take the rides. It's the same as your footage in Bangkok. Locals are feeding the elephants the sugar candy. Um, locals are taking those cheaper rides outside. We decided to take an elephant ride inside the park. And I had very, very mixed feelings about it. And I made that little film that we put straight on YouTube. Um, I would like to ask your opinion on that. Uh, with regard to riding tour uh, elephants, not only in general, but whether there is any, in your mind, any sort of, any mitigating time when it would be appropriate to take an elephant ride? Oh, well, yes, the elephant ride discussion is also very complex too, you know. Um, uh, you know, that is a very good example of uh, traditional use of elephants in a captive scenario where, yeah, elephants are ridden. Um, in Thailand too. And it's also the the way by which they're ridden. And I think a lot of the issue with uh, the elephant riding and tourism, you know, is the, the use of the howdahs or the like the big baskets and the overuse of, of elephants in that situation with that weight on their back for hours on end, um, not being properly fed and watered and then having too many people on their backs, too much weight. Um, that part of the elephant's spine is apparently the weakest part of its spine its strongest part is right at behind the ears mm -hmm. and so traditional riding of elephants um if you see it you see it in india you see it in thailand cambodia myanmar everywhere is the the it's sitting right behind the elephant's ears the front um but that's not very comfortable right and tourists aren't going to be able to do that in a lot of cases they're not uh physically fit enough to do that um, so the howdahs and the, you know, the baskets were utilized and then they were misused. And then a lot of those problems developed where people were getting hurt. The elephants were getting hurt and it just, you know, isn't good and over overused and, and exploitive. So, you know, do people need to ride an elephant? I mean, really, why? Why do you need to ride an elephant for a, like a thrill? Why is that? A thrill, you know. Can I play? So, can I play the devil's advocate here? Because the um, the mahouts may well say, "Well, why do you need to ride a horse or a camel?" But my, but to say that they shouldn't be doing that is is not what I'm saying. That's done uh, from a completely different perspective. And the case in India, it, in Nepal, exactly. I mean, that's been well documented and very successful as a conservation strategy um, for tigers and for rhino. Um, and and it's helped with poachers. And the elephants are in a, I would assume, or more or less assume that most cases with elephants being treated properly and looked after and not overworked. And, and I mean, that's what we would hope that would be taking place it's like when you have your horse you know you, you you ride the horse properly you look after your horse horses don't necessarily want to be ridden either 
a horse has to be broken too. I mean, it's not like they're not put through a, a, a process of being weaned and, you know, and trained. We get into the concepts that we've learned lately of the horse whisperer approach. And that approach has occurred with elephants as well. And like we, I was saying earlier, in earlier times, the, those weaning steps were much, they went over a couple of years. But with the increase of tourism, like so when the logging industry was banned in Thailand, yeah, there was a whole bunch of out-of-work elephants. Um, so people needed to survive. They had elephants. A lot of these families would have like several elephants. How are they going to feed these elephants? And so the the tourism ele elements start to really, really take off. Um, and a lot of these uh, elephant camps started to, you know, grow. And then tourists want to come and see elephants doing goofy tricks and such. And everything just sort of went, you know, from there because people needed to work with their elephants. A lot of those elephants that are in those tourist camps were actually rented from owners in other parts of the country or purchased. You know, I mean, some of the big elephant camps in Chiang Mai are like they have like 80 elephants. Uh, Ayutthaya has another really, really big elephant uh, elephant camp and present, you know, they do a whole bunch of shows there and they actually breed elephants there too. And they've got over like a hundred different elephants living there. So there was a whole industry that developed around captive elephants. And, you know, part of that was related to shows and performances. And, but then you get into tourists riding elephants and that's where the question mark is. Like yeah. why does that occur in a case where it's a uh, necessarily useful for some conservation manner or a livelihood manner potentially i don't know right you get into like well when is it fine and when is it not fine yeah. and you can ask yourself the same question about horses you you do and and things are not always black and white in the world they're very oh, very 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 rarely black and white and actually in revisiting that video because i hadn't watched it for a long time i then you know dug it i wanted to find out a bit more about what was going on in chitwan i read one very well researched um uh article blog that considered that actually the, the elephants weren't being looked after as well as they had uh, claimed um but that person yeah. was good enough to link to a couple of people who said that this was a good use of elephants um and you know that that of, of itself um you know that 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 it was valid um and you're you're certainly suggesting it was valid i, I want to say for the record that while we did that and i'll also say that a month or two earlier uh we had ridden camels in the desert in africa in morocco um i kind of just keep moving further and further down one path and i don't think i would be doing either of those again um i i definitely wouldn't want to do that with an elephant again i actually appreciated the the environment the opportunity the fact that we really thought about whether it was the right thing we understood what was going on in chitwan we didn't need to ride those elephants for those elephants to be effective i think like i say they see it as a further opportunity for you know to get some some money in but there should be other ways to get money in so that's that's where i've ended up but in in the interest of time because we are running uh short on it for anybody listening to this and anybody who's listened throughout this this far is must care about the elephants what can they do in a uh, in a home country that doesn't have elephants and what can they do when they're traveling and they see elephants uh being put to work um or indeed even if they're actually on a safari um and elephants are meant to be roaming wild i mean what can we do the kind of people who are listening to this to preserve the and and increase the elephant population and minimize eliminate their suffering in the long run 
Well, firstly, don't buy ivory products. Diet, that's a good, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry we have to say don't that. Support yeah. any wildlife purchase of products. Um, you know, for North Americans, um, I think it's really important to support through however means you can, uh, the organizations that are doing the on the ground work to maintain and protect elephant populations in Africa and Asia. Um, if you want to travel to places and have an elephant experience, you know, do your homework, do your research, choose, uh, you know, places that are ecologically minded, that are that are treating the elephants with respect and dignity, that are respecting their space. Um, there are a few places that have opportunities to engage with elephants that don't have any performance, that don't have any riding, where you can actually just go and learn about elephants, watch elephants being elephants and and support that work and and don't go into circumstances that are exploitive you know for your own entertainment like to go and see an elephant performing in a show ring uh standing on its front legs doing the ridiculous things that they've been trained to do why support that that's not how elephants naturally are if you want to experience elephants you want to learn about elephants as they really are you want to see elephants in, in, in the most natural environment that you can see them in and, and be mindful of, of, you know, what products you're buying that might be at some point impacting forests somewhere else, you know, look for like consumers can have a really big impact on choosing products that are, you know, protecting habitat through various types of fair trade. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of Rainforest Alliance products that are coming out now. There's lots of ways that we can start looking to uh, support habitat um, pre protection or preservation by choosing the types of products that we buy, right? That don't exploit environment. Oh. I firmly believe that you kind of get to vote with your wallet, but the biggest power you have is with your wallet. And I don't mean that, um, or your purse, you know, I don't mean that it, that's, that's donating money. Though. That's great if you can afford it. I mean, every everything you buy, if you think about what you're buying, you can impact on the on on the future because, you know, it's money. It's money. You know, we're in a capitalist world and that and that ab absolutely counts. And there were, there, I mean, elephants are only but one example here. I, I also had the experience with the orangutans and seeing that, particularly in Borneo, the forest yeah. being literally decimated to uh, to grow palm trees for palm oil, which is yeah. just which we just don't need. And the orangutans are closer to humans than elephants by quite yeah. quite a stretch. And you know they're they're being like 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 driven to a you know such a small area of habitat that they will disappear. And we don't need the palm oil. It 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 just yeah a it boggles the mind, but and b it kind of makes you want to cry when you actually see it. So. You know, a yeah. very simple solution there is look at your perfumes, look at your soaps, and if it's got palm oil in it, just don't buy it. You don't need to. I mean, just that simple. Uh, palm oil is a major, a major culprit, and it's in so many products. Yeah. I, too, have been to Borneo, in fact, as well. I did a project there a few years back on the proboscis monkey, which right, right. we saw them, yes. Habitat as the orangutans, and yeah, I've seen that, um, those palm oil plantations and the decimation of those habitats, unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah. It really uh, is. It feel it can feel like an uphill battle. I mean, you've clearly uh, come up with some. You know, you you've highlighted solutions. The um, you know returning the, the 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 elephants to the forest is obviously an I ideal. And I think it's important that just to note um, the study is really important. If a sanctuary is set up, if a program is set up, you know, study is very very important. I've literally just finished a um, anthropology course on. Friday afternoon on travel and tourism, a critical perspective. And here I am like on Tuesday 
talking very, very much about those issues because I, I, it, it's of interest to me. And I, I've, I've learned a lot from doing that course, um, but it was already of interest to me. It was already something I was genuinely motivated by. And uh, our interaction with animals as we travel, it's again, not black and white, safaris, um, sanctuaries, all kinds of things, you know, they, they have their pros and, and, you know, it might be going too far to ride an elephant in Chituan National Park. Like I say, I wouldn't do it again, but, um, I had to go there to see the program in operation. I'm really, really glad I did. Um, Patricia, I want to really just thank you in closing for everything that you've, 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 you've done here. Making films is, you know, a, a really important attribute, a really important medium for people to get to understand the story. World Elephant Day. When is the next World Elephant Day in 2024? August 12th. August 12th. Yes, it's every August 12th. August 12th, every single year, uh, World Elephant Day. Patricia Sims, founder of World Elephant Day and uh, director producer of both Return to the Forest and When Elephants Were Young and, and more besides. And I'll link to all of these things in our show notes. Thank you so much for your time and thank you for all that you've done. Thank you, Tony. It was great to speak with you. Patricia and I found ourselves staying on the line a couple more minutes talking about her recent trip to Dominica to observe some whale watching. She mentioned at the start of the interview that that uh, was an area of conservation she'd previously been involved in and clearly is continuing to do so. And we left it that maybe actually I would get her back on to talk about uh, the whales in some detail, given that the two or three, four minutes we had discussing it was just not enough. So um, hopefully we'll have her back to have that conversation. But to stay with the elephants for the moment, I did mention there that while I had watched Return to the Forest, which you can find on YouTube, I had not seen when elephants were young at the time of the interview. And as I promise, I have done since. It's a more difficult movie in the sense that uh, it it deals a lot, lot more, a lot more with um, the uh, elephants in captivity in Thailand, as she says about them uh, street begging on the streets of Bangkok. And uh, there are some scenes that are quite difficult to watch, to be quite honest. Um, there's also the fact that uh, one of the, the mahouts that uh, they had been working with was indeed killed by an elephant. And yet we also see as perhaps a sort of star of this film, a guy called, young guy called Wok, who uh, clearly just absolutely adores his elephant, um, like truly adores it in the way that people do with dogs. And, and it's not happy that the only way it seems that he gets to uh, keep the family elephant, and I know that sounds odd, but uh, it's a family elephant, that the only way that he seems to be able to get to keep it is by taking it on the streets of Bangkok, begging for sugarcane. Uh, so as we observed in the interview, you know, life is not black and white, things are very complex, and traditions can be hard to change, and there is a definite... Uh, situation in Thailand with uh, all these elephants in captivity but uh, without uh, an obvious income for their owners it's it's really really difficult but the movie is well worth watching because it resolves and it looks forward as this interview did and you know uh, tries to take us to a positive place so I recommend you do watch it I'm just telling you that uh, if you care at all about the treatment and the welfare of animals uh, parts of it are quite hard to watch
I have some very, very cool episodes lined up for the near future. I never trail them until they are in the bag or unless they are in the bag and I know they're a success. But I'm also aware from looking at uh, download figures, which really add up over a period of time, that people come to different shows uh, in different orders and for different reasons. What I would ask is that if you do like the show, this particular episode, because you were drawn to it, please do feel free to visit the other episodes. Best thing you can do is subscribe. In the meantime, if you are listening at the start of 2024, I hope it's a good one for you. And if you're listening somewhere further down the line, I hope 2024 has been a good one for you. Get yourself out there. Be good. Be kind. Be healthy. And catch you next month. <laughs>